0: Psalms 117, 23. They that go down into the sea in ships that do business in deep waters. For a few weeks, we've been talking about the deeper the waters that the larger boat will be required. I just witnessed that last week. We began with workmanship, Ephesians 2 and 10. It was just you and Jesus in an inner tube, had your own thing going, not a bad gig. Couldn't go very deep. Then we went to fellowship, Acts 2 and 42, the kayak. We found out we can find a partner. There's great strength in, in, the, in twos. It, it's not only confirmation, but it's, it's a sense of connection. Then we went to discipleship. We got into this rowing business. We got in unity and uniformity, and we got in timing, and we got in agreement. Two weeks ago, we talked about companionship. This was the Viking ship. This was a Roman ship designed for criminals who had a sentence of death. They would not execute them, of course. They had to have, there was no Rude motors, so they had to have a way of sailing the ocean. So they chose prisoners that was sentenced to death, and they would put these prisoners in the bottom of the boats, and this is how they would maneuver from one continent to the other. We liken this to us, the word is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we are the ministers of God who parent us. That picture showed you who we are. We have been sentenced to a, a life of death to Christ. We are, and we'll serve our life committed to Christ. Sometimes we go through our whole ministry and our whole life and you think we're unnoticed and unknown and unappreciated. Not to go on the buffet bar and on the top deck or play shuffleboard. We're stuck in a dungeon with a bunch of smelly people, but that smelly people is that we have one thing in common that we will live out our life, making sure that the gospel of Christ goes further. Chained together to keep one another from jumping ship. So this morning, it's the last ship, but certainly not the least one, and it has a great twist to it. It's called stewardship. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, as we read two weeks ago. So let a man so account, this is a word account, a word for logizōhami. it's an accountant's word. It means strike the ledger, write it down. You can mark it down. As us, as the huperadices of Christ, we are, it doesn't mean like we're, this word minister doesn't mean like darkness is where we serve one another. This is where we live our our life, good days and bad days. Happy times and sad times. When the bills are being paid, the bills are not being paid. You can count on us being here. We've got to make sure that we are faithful to make sure that the gospel of Christ and the doors are open, no matter what. We have got to do this. It's not the fact there's some things that we do for God and that most of the time you got to learn is things that we do with God. But not only that, but we are stewards of the mysteries of God. So, so what in the world is, number one, what is a steward? And then what is a, the mystery of God? And moreover, it is required in a steward that a man must be found faithful. A steward above all things must be found faithful. So there are three words to the word steward in the Greek language, and, and they're all close. They're all related, but uh, we're going to look at one this morning. Orkonomos is the word that is used here. Now, oikos is a word for house. Nomos is thoughts. So, when you put it together, orkonomos means it's a house manager who oversees the employees of the house. That's what it means. It, 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 it means, it's funny, but I, I don't know who brought it up, maybe Melissa, but Gayla did a little survey about how well they know their husband, and it was 10 things, and it came out about a month ago. It's, it was kind of funny, I didn't see it till later on. But I think question four was, what is your husband thinking about right now? And you know what she put? Lumber. lumber. <laughs> and, that's, and that's right, lumber. Now when I get on the ship, it's hamburgers, but it's lumber. Orkonomos is a word that not only you know. I understand the steward is a house manager, and we're not. We're trying. We're trying to, to unlayer some levels for you here. But Orchonomas was not only the, the the title of the of the, the, the steward of the household, but his thoughts were on it. And his whole life evolved around taking care of the house. And one of his responsibilities as a steward is to oversee the house and the employees of the house, a manager of the house. But this word steward, by definition, is a funny word. It's where we get a word in the lexicon called a chamberlain. And a chamberlain was someone that oversaw not only the house employees, but the house employer. The steward was a slave who administered the affairs of his master's household, even though he himself owned nothing. A steward that we are supposed to be accounted for by the world, that he was the man that was responsible. His thoughts was was on the household. His thoughts were on the employees to make sure their job was being done. But his primary thought was on the employer, or the owner of the house. And his job was to be responsible for everything that went on in the house, but yet he himself owned nothing. Nothing. Now, stewardship, I want to tell you this morning, is not the SS fun ship. I'll show you the ship again I went on the cruise with. It's a great, it's a great little boat. It's a it's it's not anything that looks like this. So when you think about stewardship and big time and, and big time church and big time church movements, I know what you're thinking. It's fun, fun, fun till daddy takes the keys away. That is not stewardship. Stewardship has nothing to do with big anything. When you see big things on television and big church and you think, oh man, them guys must be stewards, big stewards, not necessarily because there may be big scandals because that's coming out of the woodwork every day. So what is stewardship? And here's the perfect example of a stewardship. It's very simple. It's just a simple plan. Sometimes if we're not careful that we get lost in the concept of something big. Now leave that up for a moment. The king had one man that he could trust more than any others in his entire life. The steward could be trusted above the king's family, the king's cabinet, the king's general, and all their armies because he could tell this steward his feelings, his concerns, his wishes, his plans, his thoughts, his ups, and his downs that he could not and would not whisper to anyone else, yet they would prey upon his vulnerability. Who does the king talk to? He, he cannot go to the assistant king and say, hey, I'm feeling like I need to retire. Well, I'll tell you, that he doesn't do that. The king had the king had ideas and thoughts and plans and and he had all this even though that he was king but he still had all this inner compartments so he had no one to talk to. It's of who would Jesus talk to? Jesus tried to talk to the dirty dozen and he would say something, "Oh yeah, I remember that you know, who would he talk to?" And Jesus would like to say something like but my father's kingdom and one said, oh, you're a king. I'll go get you a crown and a die We'll be right back. He goes, no, no, you don't understand. You see, a steward would be the last person that the king would see at night. And the steward's face would be the first thing that he saw in the morning. That's who a steward was. A steward was more than just someone to manage the affairs of the house. A steward was the one that made sure that he was there at the first thing in the morning and the last thing at night when the king woke up and went to bed. And in that whole lifestyle, there was a connection. I'm getting somewhere this morning to you. I want you to understand what this thing is really all about. The masses have never been right. If you're not aware of Greek lexicon, the word crowds, by Greek definition, it means mobs, riots, crowds. Only thing crowds have done in the Bible, masses of people that was misinformed, is to create confusion and problems and chaos. Chaos. And when Jesus hit planet Earth, I'll tell you we had we had religion and we had cultures and we had denominations and we had all that. And I'll tell you it was all a big mess. They were fighting at one another, sticking their tongue out at one another, throwing rocks at one another. And as Jesus told the woman of Samaria in a wonderful way, she goes, "We're confused. We're to worship on Mount Moriah or Mount Gerizim." And John four, and he said, "Lady, I'm going to be nice to you, but you ain't got a clue what you're doing." If you was on the tip top of Moriah or the tip top of Gerizim, you still wouldn't get it right. The Messiah that you're looking for is sitting right in front of you. It's amazing. So how do we become a steward? That's not impressive. That's not big. That's, that's not anything. All that is, is a simple two man bow with a sail. That's all that is. So someone, when we get to the last one and the pinnacle of this thing, we go back below square one in size and in motives, in abilities and capabilities. It's almost like we're regressing instead of progressing. Somebody asked me a while back, I said, well, you talk about the church years ago and used to, you know, used to be running over people and blah, blah, blah. And things happen and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, what happened? I said, well, nothing happened. Have you not read John 15? One through five. This is God's garden. And those that do not produce fruit will be pruned. I'm not telling you about this church. I'm telling you about the church as a whole. He's not interested in flowers. We got enough florists in the church. He's interested in fruit. And we can produce no fruit. The Holy Spirit produces fruit. It's our responsibility to, to display it. So for a few moments this morning, how do we become a steward? And this is how we become a steward of this ship and what it represents. Second Peter chapter. 1, verse 20 and 21. Peter's given this long dissertation about that we have a greater revelation and greater knowledge than, than just seeing him on the mountain. Knowing this first, this word called protos first, it means in priority and ranking in order that no prophecy, this word prophecy doesn't mean like to foretell the future. It means for to speak something, prophetess. One is foretelling, F O R telling, and one is forthtelling. The church has gone nuts on the second one. Yea, I say unto you, the Lord said, Yes, you know, I question everything that they say. Because why would the Holy Spirit validate an, a doctrine that's in error against the principles of the Word of God? And I want you to hear me loud and clear. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will never validate false prophecy and false anointings when it does not line up the scripture. And anytime that you take the canons of the scripture and lay them aside and said, the spirit told me, even though it doesn't line up the Bible, I'm telling you, that is a false prophet. The spirit of Antichrist is already among you. You better know the difference, especially if you get in a spirit-filled church. because the Bible says that signs of wonders follow them. What's this? Confirming, sumbortis epitome. It means confirming the word. Signs and wonders will follow confirming the word. The word doesn't follow the signs and wonders. If the word is being preached, signs and wonders will follow and whatever that may be, but it doesn't matter. Knowing this first, this is the priority that prophecy of any scripture is not a private interpretation. Now this is very important. Private interpretation, the word private is, is, it's not a funny word, but it's kind of, it's called idios. Idios taste is a word. Idios it means it's two words. Idios is where we get a word for own or by myself or alone. And, and, and the second one is, is that you put them both together. It means I didn't get this. Epileusis means interpretation. I didn't get this information on my own. Idios is a word, if you don't know this, but it means to be alone, separated, segregated. And the Greek says it's this. This is where we get a word for an idiot. So the next time somebody calls you an idiot, it's biblical. <laughs> this is very important. Because when you separate yourself and you get by yourself and, and you get alone and you remove yourself from the people of God and the things of God, and what happens is if the word idios means... I do not want to be taught. I do not want to be mentored. I don't want anybody telling me what to think or what to do. I'm not open for interpretations of anything. And so the Bible says that no scripture was ever given by man on his own ability and his own agenda and his own timing. Because he calls you an idiot. Now, in English language, we'll use the word fools. Now, not that I would ever do here, but I'll, I'll listen to people. I'll listen to a guy on a boat give me a lecture. I never told him I was a preacher. I just wanted him to talk. I did. Oh, uh, you know, with drink in hand, he had. Yeah. Oh, well, he'd give me a life lecture. And, and so I just let him talk. He said, oh, even though, even though I'm doing all this, but you know, God, and I, and I want it. And you know, you go, well, why didn't you even pop the head? You know what? What good would that do? Here's the deal. Nothing that you'll ever receive from God that is true from God will ever come from your own ability, your own thoughts. Separating yourself will not help you from where the word of God is being taught in content and in context. It may it it, it it may cause you to scratch your head. And it might make you think, but that's my job is to make you think. So no man received anything but private interpretation. No man gets any of this on his own or by himself. No man. But the Bible says they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So where do we get the prophetess or the information to know the heart of God? And I had a man here, you know, it doesn't matter, but this is what he told me. He said, I'm, I'm leaving here and I'm going to go to Bible college and I'm going to get me education. No God. And I said, you're a fool. You're a fool. You're chasing after something that'll lead you down the wrong road. You need to stay put and be grounded in the spiritual things of God, the heart of God, the mind of God. You need to take a back seat. And he chose not to do that. And sure enough, all the wheels fell off his life. And I'm not laughing. That's not what I'm saying. When you get in a place of a stewardship, that you begin to get in a place where it's, it's just you and the owner of the whole world. And my thoughts and my desires is for one thing, to take care of the people of God, but more than anything, I'm gonna make sure I am available for the owner of the people of God. My job is not try to please you. Turn to somebody and say, you can never please that guy over there. You can say that, go ahead. I can't please you. You know. You you know how much money will make you happy? One more dollar than you made last week. My responsibility as a steward. My priority. Is to position myself in front of the king. And so it says they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This word "moved" is a word called Pharaoh. P H E R O. And it means to furl the sails. Anybody here that's in the Navy? Okay. It's a ship term that means to raise the sail. We've thrown the motorboat. We've thrown the motor. Well, there was no motor back then. There's no paddles. There's no motors. There's no roaring. There's no nothing. <clears throat> I'm sitting in a, in a quiet cove of water but my sails are raised and I'm waving for the moving of the spirit. And if he moves, he moves me. And if he doesn't do anything, I sit still. Now the King James will use the word ghost, which is the English word for spirit. I grew up in a church where you couldn't say spirit. You had to say ghost because it sounded more holy. You see how dumb people are? Oh, Brother Jody, it ain't spirit. It's ghost because ghost is more spookier. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. All spirit is is an English word called ghost of spirit. Ruach in the Old Testament. Breath, wind, spirit. The breath of God, the wind of God, the spirit of God is all the same word. Ruach. So as a steward, as we are stewards, my responsibility is not necessarily to look after you. I'll do my very best. But my priority is to make sure that I position myself in front of the king of this earth. And somebody said, well, why don't we do this? And why don't we do that? You do what you want to. I'm staying put. Because I've heard you and your words are not that big of a deal. You've heard me and it's not that big a deal. We can just tell so many jokes and read so many poems. I'm needing to hear from God. And sometimes it gets to the place that if I don't hear from him today, I may lose my mind. I may not survive this. So being moved by the Holy Spirit has everything to do with inside information. Spiritual secrets, it's, it's the combination to unlock the mysteries of God, he says in Corinthians 4 and 1. When I was in school, you couldn't have keys. I think they were afraid you would key the principal's car. I know Spells did in high school, but so they gave you a combination lock and 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 just one number, one number was important. Usually there are three, you know, two right, three left, and whatever it was. Some of you know know one number in the combination. You're saved. Congratulations. That's a part of it. But Paul tells us that we're here as stewards to unlock the mysteries of God. So what is it that's a mystery? Muthos. What is it that is such a big deal that I haven't already experienced it? That I've, I've, I've learned how to speak in tongues. I've learned how to run around the building. I've learned how to shout and hoop and holler. Fine. But you're still, you're still sad and you're still miserable and you're still being poisoned. And please don't look at anybody else and don't look around and don't say anything but are you really, really content and happy and full on the inside? He's telling you that there are secrets in the kingdom that will help to unlock the mysteries of God. So if you don't mind in the next few weeks, I'd like to talk to you about some. Some will shock you. Some will startle you. And as some hear of lately, when I talked about the Olive discourse, they've stomped out the back door because they just couldn't see that the prophecies wasn't all about me. And that's all right. I have a sermon for that next week, Matthew 13. And isn't it amazing that we as idiots think we know it all, but we've never been taught, never been educated, never been trained in the full things of God. We, we've been, we've been taught in certain denominations. If he was raised in the denomination, like I was, he was taught one thing and boy, I mean, that's the way it was. And somebody come along and says something and you go, that's not true until we read it in the scriptures. And I asked this question years ago when I first started, I went to my pastor, we just started and I, I, and I was hungry for God. I didn't want to, Anybody knows me, I do not like to argue. You know that. Oh, <laughs> but I went to him with an honest heart. And, and, and I really didn't know anything about anything, but I read it and I was on fire and, and I was so full of Jesus I couldn't see straight. And, and I went to him and I said, basically, what, what do we do with this in the New Testament? I mean, I'm not talking things like where the dinosaurs go. I mean, what, what do we do this in Romans chapter eight? What do we do with predestination, foreknowledge and election? What do we do with that? And basically he told me he said, "We don't talk about that. Don't Don't act like you're shocked. You don't want to talk about it either. I do. I do. I'm glad you know a number. I'm glad you know you're saved by grace. Wonderful. That's just one knock. I'm glad you understand the gifts of spirit. Wonderful. That's two to the lamp. But what about the rest? I want to unlock everything that God has for me to unlock. And the first thing that I got to do is get myself in a place where I turn out all the idiots off and I start listening to God. Yeah. And when I call them idiots, you know, I'm I'm not talking about the people south of Wilson. I mean, I could be, but I'm not. I'm talking about those people that it's it's us for and no more. This is the way it is. You got to get your hair high, get that makeup off, get that dress length. I mean, we didn't learn nothing by that. What did that teach you? didn't teach me about humility and honesty and integrity. Taught me nothing about it. I want to know. I don't want to make the same sins of my past. I don't want to keep, continue stumbling over the same furniture in my heart. So years ago that I, I just put myself in a position and I am the overseer of this church. I'm, I oversee the employees and it's good. You're good. You're, you're good people. You changed my life. Thank you. Some of them for the worse, but you're for the good. Yes. But. But I refuse to surround myself with idiots or idiotates, people that are not willing to be taught biblical principles. I want to talk about scripture. They want to talk about warring in something else. They want to talk about visions and revelations. I don't want to talk about revelations. I want to talk about what Jesus has, how is applicable to us right now. Why do I want to get lost in the unknown? And so if you don't mind for the next few weeks, I'd like to talk to you about some things that I've learned in the last 20 years that are not discussed. Can we do that? And I'm going to have you sign the form that you won't leave the church. If you do. (laughs) Because here's the deal. Of all that you know and all you learn, you're still not satisfied. You're still, there's something empty on the inside whether you want to admit it or not. And you know what? I want to help you with that because the Bible says in Isaiah that wisdom and knowledge is the stability of our times, the strength of our salvation. The more wisdom and knowledge you can have according to the word of God, the more stronger and joyful that you'll be in this life. I want to talk about the antichrist who I think he may be doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We'll talk one about the millennial reign. I want to talk about the kingdom I want to talk about the kingdom age and it's going to be contrary to all you Pentecostals and you good old Southern Baptists and you're going to flip your wig, but it's okay. I'm a beautician. I'll help you get it back on straight. But if I show it to you in scripture, how can you, how can you kick against the pricks? He told Paul, why are you kicking against the pricks? So, Sorry. So here's one that I want to talk, just one, and, and then just bear with me. These are, these are things that I've known for a long time, and it's not a big deal to you, but it's a great big deal to me. Here's three short things that have helped me. They're, I'm full of these things. It's I'm just full of it. And I've been here 33, 34 years, and, and you, you know it. Listen, you know enough to kill a cow, biblically you know it you know a lot you're saved by grace Jesus is the way you know it all all right I agree so there's nothing really I can tell you that will that will give you information that things you already know but but there's there's a ton of things that maybe I know that you don't on on, on, a, on another level doesn't mean I'm smarter it just means that I spend a lot more time in front of the king on a boat and not on a party boat And I don't want the big crowd. Proverbs says, Proverbs 4 and 14, when the stall is empty, the stall is clean. But with the more auction you get, the stall becomes full. I understand the more people you get, the more mess you have to clean up. So I'm content right here in good old Ardmore, Oklahoma. I choose to be here. I choose to be at this church. I choose it. I wanna be here. I don't wanna go nowhere. There are three short things that I wanna show you before we get to Christ that, has anybody ever been baptized? It's not a trick question. Has anybody here never been baptized? Okay, all right. Thank you, Matthew. So now I need you to pay attention. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I just want you to pay attention, okay? Joshua chapter 3, 7, 8, and 9. This is why the Word of God is so powerful to me. Not bits and pieces, not catchphrases. I combat bits and pieces of anything. I want, I want, to, know, I want to know the whole Word of God. And, and for me to know that, I've got to put myself in a position to hear him. And that's what the Lord said in Matthew 4, every word that comes out of his mouth. And to hear every word that comes out of his mouth, you've got to put yourself in a position to hear every word where the telephone's not ringing and the kids are not screaming. And the days of our life is not rerunning again. So God said to Joshua this very day that I'll begin to make you great in the eyes of all Israel. God is speaking to Joshua. And they'll see for themselves that I am with you in the same way that I was with Moses. You will command the priest to carry the chest, which is the Ark of the Covenant. And when you come into the edge of the Jordan's water, stand there on the bank, waters, stand there on the river bank. And then Joshua addressed the people of Israel, attention, listen to what God, your God says. This is how you'll know that God is alive and among you. So that's what happened. The people left their tents to cross the Jordan, led by the priest carrying the chest of the covenant. And when the priest got into the Jordan and their feet touched the water at the edge, the Jordan overflows its banks through this harvest time. That's in parentheses. It flows, the water stopped. It piled up in a heap along the way of Adam, which is near Zarethan. The river went dried all the way down to Arabah, which is the Dead Sea. And the people crossed facing Jericho. We know this story. We have the Ark of the Covenant. They reached the Jordan River. And God said, this is how I'm going to prove to the people that I'm with you. And Joshua said, I'm all ears because I've been, I've been traveling around for 40 years with the same stinking bunch and we're not getting anywhere. And these three things that were in the Ark of the Covenant, but the primary one was the tablets, the Word of God. Say the Word of God. Word of God. The Word of God. And as soon as the Word of God hit the water, the waters parted. Agreed? Yes. All right. Next one. 2 Kings 2 and 8. This is Elijah and Elisha. They're not cousins. Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. He took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. He was heading to Jericho and it was divided this way and that way so the two of them could cross over the dry ground. Same Jordan River. Elijah took his mantle. The sons of the prophets stayed behind. Elijah took his mantle. When they was reaching Jericho, the same city, he took his mantle. He put his mantle into the water and the water went side by side, just like it was for Joshua, now the baptism of Jesus. Matthew chapter three, verse 16. And when he'd been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like, him upon a, like a dove lighting upon him. So Jesus here was baptized by John the Baptist. Twice is said in scripture and when he was baptized in water, that then God enunciates that this is my son in whom I'm well-placed. What does these three stories all have in common? Well, they got some things in common. Number one, they all have in common, waters were divided. Not only in Joshua's time, not only in Elijah's time, but if you've ever been baptized, and I baptized a bunch of you when I took you under, I'll assure you, waters were divided. And they were divided when God's anointed vessels hit the water. When the ark of the covenant carrying the word of God hit the water, it divided. Now, in the case of Elijah, if you don't know this, he's a little discouraged because he he prophesied that, oh, you would get humiliated last week. So he was a little discouraged about this. (laughs) And the Lord said to him, he said, what in the world are you doing here? I never told you to come here. So he steps out, he said, come out to the, to the edge of the cliff. And this is what he says, that the Lord passed by and the rocks began to blow up and the wind began to do all these things. And he said, God was not in it. And then God passed by. Elijah is standing on the, on the outside of this mountain range of horror. And, and the Lord passes by and he comes by in this great glory. What happens? What happens? He covers himself with a mantle. And when he covers himself with a mantle, what's the next thing that happens? God speaks to him in damon, a still, small voice. And that small voice that God spoke, watch this, was so powerful that it integrated into the Mantle. God's word just uh, is not spoken. He said, my words will never return void. It will accomplish where I sent it to go. And when God, have you ever been around a skunk? Anybody here got sprayed by a skunk? Yeah, last night I smelled something. <laughs> and when you get sprayed by a skunk and you wear the same clothes on a Saturday night and you wear the same clothes to church, you ain't got to tell anybody you got sprayed by a skunk. Guess what happened last night? Let me guess. You got sprayed by a skunk. You must be a prophet. No, I smell you from here, buddy. The stench remains in the garment. And when God walked by, He covered His head because there was debris and rocks and fire and rain going everywhere. It's a James Taylor song, kind of. I mean, it's going everywhere. So he covers his head up and his body up with his mantle. He never moves. But when God speaks this small voice, it's called dominant. It means to communicate with open the mouth, but it doesn't matter. He says something and what happens is it begins to just penetrate this mantle. And it never leaves. There's no goosebumps involved until Elijah gets to the place where from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and God's about to take him and guess what happens? The mantle has never, watch this, the mantle has never lost its authority of the word that was spoken upon it. And he laid the mantle down on the waters. (laughs) And it wasn't just the mantle, it was God's word activated in that piece of material. And what happened? It divided. And now we get the cherry on top. Now that we're not talking about some piece of sacraments in a box, and now that we're not talking about a cloak of carrying the anointing, we're talking about the word of God that was made flesh and walked among us. That carried the great anointing of God himself. He was the fullness of the Godhead. And it wasn't stuck in a box and it wasn't, it wasn't impaled into clothing. It wasn't religious garment. It was human life filled with the, the, the awesomeness of, of, of Jehovah and Elohim himself. And, and he walked among us for 30 years until something happened. Now then, Matthew, here we go. When John submerged him into the water, two things happened. The waters divided when he went down and the waters divided when he come up. Why is water baptism in, in this framework so important? Because there's something that was divided spiritually at water baptism. If, if you're under the idea that water baptism will save you, God should have sent a sprinkler system instead of his son. Water baptism will not save you. Now I'm telling you, it can be actual converse. you know. There's all types of implications with this, but I, I want to I want to let you in on a little bit of the unknown. Something happened at baptism. The same thing that happened with Joshua, and the same thing that happened with Elijah. But now then, we have the fullness of God in front of us, not in pieces. The other thing that we, they all have in common, they're all the Jordan River. Can you imagine the Jordan River? Boy, if, if waters could talk, they said all three times the presence of God was so powerful in our life that we parted and made way. Here's the idea. Not only that that the waters were divided, but they were divided when anointed vessels filled with God's word hit them. Waters, by definition, divide continents. Waters divide continents, cultures, and civilizations of people. Waters are meant to divide us. Waters are meant to separate you from reaching maybe somewhere that God has intended for you to go. I went to Jamaica, but I had to take a boat because of the waters. What separated the promised land from Joshua? Waters. What separated the chariots of fire and glory from Elijah? Waters. So what, what does Jesus' baptism have, have anything to do with spiritually more than just going through the motion, you need to be baptized? That's not what he's saying. He said, what's happening here that there is a dividing of the spiritual waters that's keeping you from reaching where God wants you to go? And when he went down, he divided the waters. And when he come up, he did divided the waters. It's more than just being baptized so here's the explanation. Colossians two and twelve. So it's a initiation ritual that you're after. You've already been through it by submitting to baptism, going underwater was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was resurrection. God raising you from the dead, as He did Christ. Let that let that set there a minute. Something in water baptism happened more than just him getting wet. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. The same Jordan River, on one side, it was a full of religiosity, rules and regulation, and they were all traditions of men. They were all death. But in order for we to reach the Father's side. The waters had to be divided again. Not in Joshua's time, not in Elijah's time, but Jesus was the ultimate divider of the waters and going down and then back up to the waters that we may cross spiritually into our Father's kingdom. It's a spiritual baptism, he calls it, Paul Paul alludes to this because he's very smart. He he peels back the layers. He said, it's more than just water baptism. You're not understanding what's going on. It's not just the act of going into the water and coming up. The waters were divided, but not only were they divided, when he divided them, it allowed you to cross from the natural to the supernatural. It allowed Joshua to move from one side to the next. It allowed Elijah to move from one side to the next. And because of his baptism, when he went down and when he come back, the waters were parted. And you go, well, the waters went back, but not spiritually they didn't go back. He let the waters parted so you and I through Jesus can cross over. And watch what the scripture says. In the message Bible, it talks about, and all of these that went before us, they all crossed, not one wet foot. What Jesus did at his crucifixion, what Jesus did at his baptism, you know what he was doing? He was parting the waters again. And we know for a fact that Moses, oh, here we go. And there they stood. Those priests carrying the chest of the covenant stood firmly, planted on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while Israel crossed on dry ground. And finally the whole nation was across Jordan and not one wet foot. And even in the time of Moses, they they bragged them on dry land. No one no one, in the time of Moses, he didn't touch it. He raised, the, he, he raised his staff. But the idea was parting the waters Allowed you to go from one to the next. The baptism of Jesus, Matthew, when you decide to get baptized, is more than you just getting wet. Is Jesus divided the waters. So you can go from this life to the supernatural because of him. It's amazing, isn't it? He divided the waters. He divided the waters. In his baptism, when he went down and he come up, he divided the waters. And because he divided the waters, this is why he said, now I am the way, the odos, where you get for odometer. I'm the way, I'm dry ground. And wherever you are on this side, On this side of the Father's kingdom, wherever you are, I have made it a way and made it possible that you can come to my Father's kingdom because why? I have divided the spiritual waters. So likewise in our everyday life right now, I'm quitting. Of course, I'm quitting. Like right now, what do we do with right now? Isaiah 43, one and two. He tells them, Isaiah, fear not, for I have redeemed thee and I've called thee by name and thou art mine. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Do you you just now understand that any light bulb ever go off or are you all brain dead? What do you mean, pass through the waters? What is he talking about? How many's read that for 900 years? Oh, when they pass through the waters, I'll be with you. What does that mean? What, do you mean? what does it mean to pass through the waters? You don't have to answer that. And he said, fear not, for I'm with you. And I've called you by name, Dan and Janice and Galen." Virgil, Chuck, Gwen, I've called you by name. And you're going to come upon a a body of water that will try to keep you from where God wants you to go. Through salvation, through that water baptism, he he made a way for us to to move from the natural to the supernatural as he parted the waters in, in baptism. But now then, our everyday life pass through the waters. I'll be with you. And watch this. And the water banks will not come upon you like it did in Pharaoh. You can trust me. I'll hold the water back. You know all that these waters are that we face every day? You know what this is? Waters is an object to keep you from reaching a place that God has awaiting you. Every day of your life, whether it be a neighbor, whether it be a a family member, whether it be a long-winded preacher, You're going to face Jordan river. You're going to face, you're going to face a circumstance that, that you're not designed. We are not amphibious creatures. We cannot cross on our own. And God said, don't worry about it. I was giving you everything that pertains to life and godliness. And when you come upon a situation that's impassable, he said, I got good news for you that I divided the waters for Joshua because of my word was in the box. Now hear me very quickly, I'm leaving. But this spiritual abracadabra and alakazam will not do anything. It's the word of God. Why am I a proponent of the word of God? Because i tell you every day of my life, I come against bodies of water that want to keep me from going forward. But I'm telling you, we are vessels and we are containers of the word of God. And I just got to get to that bank and I got to get close. And if I take my shoe off and stick one, one toe in that water, the water starts wanting to jump. And it's not because of me, it's because of the word that I carry. It is my father's word. So when you pass through the waters, he'll be with you. We constantly move from glory to glory. Passing the waters that want to divide us from reaching our Father's kingdom. So this morning, this one little illustration that I've known for 25 years that I'm not afraid to talk about it, but I want to talk to you. He gives us the preview in the Old Testament, but the time of Jesus, he puts it in full light. Water baptism is not necessarily about getting wet, Matthew. It's about dividing the waters so spiritually, you can cross from this side to that side. And once you get saved, when you come upon situations that seem to be impassable, it's not. God will cause the waters to pass and divide. Then we can, we can go to a place where God has us to go. The body of the waters. So here's the key, stewardship. It's a time that you can hear God. Number two, it's a time that the word of God can stay in you. And number three, it's a time when you face with uncrossable obstacles. Stick your foot in it. And watch God moved the thing out of the way for you, because Jesus did that. For you and I. Couldn't do it on our own. He did it for us. Father, this morning, thank you for the ability to just be a part of a wonderful church body. I think these people love you. We want to be good stewards of the mysteries of God. So help us to be good stewards of the Word of God. And wherever we go this week and wherever we, we may travel and whatever that we may face, it may be waters that want to divide us from reaching wherever that God wants us to go. But your word seems to be that tool and that instrument all through scriptures that was, that would divide the water to make a clear path for us to reach one side to the next. Thank you for your son Jesus that ultimately did this in his crucifixion and resurrection. That in water baptism, it was only a sign of the real deal that he went down into the earth. He divided the earth, but when he come back up, he divided the earth and the heavens, and he made a way that we could cross from the natural to the supernatural because of the act of Christ. We pray for those this morning that need healing for their body. We pray for those whose homes is under attack. We pray for every marriage that's being assaulted. We pray for everyone right now that's been surrounded by waters that want to divide them from reaching God's full potential. Let us be good students of your word. Let us be good carriers of the full word of God and carry it with us as we go. In Christ's name. And all the people of God say, amen. amen. Give the Lord a praise offering this morning, huh? So I want to encourage you this morning, stand to your feet. I want to encourage you this morning for the next two or three weeks, bring you a notebook and a pencil and write some things down and bring you a bottle of rollades and just bring you something. We're going to talk about some things. Communion service, if you'll please come this morning. Aren't you glad that Christ made a way for us? He divided the waters for us. Boy, I am. I couldn't get there on my own. Some of you this morning that we had great aspirations of being a teacher, a board member, a parking lot superintendent. We want our name on the church building. We want, we want to be known in the Christian community of, of doing great things for God, but I'm telling you this morning, that's not where it's at. Some of the greatest men and the biggest men, the biggest names in, in the religious world today are lost. They've lost their way. They are marching to the beat of another drum. And Father, I pray this morning that we will find our way back to you this morning. In a still small voice, and whatever you say to us will never leave our mantle. We'll carry it wherever we go. It can't be washed out. It stays deep embedded into our hearts and the fabric of our bodies. If you'll just speak to us this morning. Things like I'm low, I'll always be with you, son. I'll never turn my back on you. When you face the waters, I'll I'll cause them to divide for you. And you don't have to worry about them overwhelming you. Help us to be good stewards, Father. The Lord sat down with 11 men that absolutely were in 11 different directions. They all had their own boats at the table that night. 11 agendas. But he's about to do something so wonderful to bring them into a great unity and agreement. Now, I know there was 12, but the 11 is what we'll refer to this morning. He was bringing them to a place of stewardship. Caretakers of the word of God. So Father, this morning as we celebrate Holy Communion, let us be not only caretakers of the people of God and the building of God, but let us focus our attention on the King of this world. So we give your heart and our minds and our souls to you today. Bless this cup and bless this bread. And for everyone that takes of it, Let the anointing of God and the power of God and the word of God remain into their mantle wherever they may go. In Jesus' name, amen.